I'm Temple Lentz, and this is Hello Vancouver. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Loretta Capehart, VP for Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Clark College, based out of Vancouver, Washington. I sat down with Loretta shortly after the incident in Charlottesville and before, well, honestly, before whoever the heck knows what happens next. Uh, We've been hearing and seeing a lot about Nazis and racism and hate groups, and the conversations have gotten more and more vile and difficult, and people are starting to shut down. I asked Loretta if she would speak with me so that we could talk about how we talk about some of these things. And I was also interested in what one of the major institutions in Clark County, Washington, is doing to address possible incidents that might happen here. Some people who are familiar with business and leadership may be familiar with Peter Drucker. He's a very well-known business strategist and kind of a management guru. He had a lot to say about Nazis in their time. Some people may not know, but he actually fled Austria in 1934. He had direct experience with the original Nazis. And his leadership wasn't just about making money. It was about positioning institutions as community leaders. And Drucker said something very powerful. He said, when our institutions don't act as unflinching protectors of our most basic values, terror is apt to fill the void. In recent days and months, we've seen a key institution, the presidency of the United States, fail to denounce in strong and unflinching terms the Nazis, white supremacists, and pro-Confederates who descended on Charlottesville, Virginia. It can sometimes seem that what's happening at the national level is very removed from what's happening at the local level. But I agree with what Drucker said, and I feel that our institutions are one of the key places where a difference can be made. So I was very interested in speaking with Loretta to find out what the institution Clark College is doing now. I'm sitting now in the office of Loretta Capehart, who is the Associate Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Clark College. Hi, Loretta. Hi, Temple. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me today. Thank you. So we are sitting here, and for for the listeners, to let them know sort of the context of when we're talking, we're talking at the end of the week after the, I think at this point, if we just say Charlottesville, most folks know what we're talking about. And there's also rumors that there are going to be some uh, rallies and other gatherings across the country this Saturday. So we're sort of talking in a not exactly calm between storms. And I wanted to come and speak with Loretta because Clark College has a really active diversity and equity inclusion program at the college. And as schools are starting back up, there's a lot of very emotionally charged stuff. That's a technical term, I think, stuff. Mm-hmm going on and wanted to talk about kind of where Clark College is, but also just in general, where some of our educational institutions and leadership organizations are, where, where, where they are right now. Well, I think we're in a, a better place than one might assume. Um, there's been so much work done over the last few years that it's given us a sort of base from which to absorb these kinds of traumas, and it is a trauma. Uh, We had a a gathering today in the Diversity Center here at Clark just to allow people a space to come together and decompress, uh, play a game, have some food, share some time together, play some music in the background, because 
many in the community did approach myself and other people on the campus and say, hey, this is just really a difficult week. And it, and it is. It's a very difficult week. Um, our president just sent out a, a message to uh, restate our values here at the college, that we are an inclusive campus and that we value diversity. And we are going to continue our work to um, make sure that those values are coming out in our outcomes, that our students are graduating at similar rates, regardless of their background, that we're hiring uh, diverse faculty and staff to serve those students. We have uh, a lot of diversity on the campus, more so than in the general community, which is a wonderful thing. Um, and from my perspective, there's nothing better than a diverse campus for a truly rich experience in education. So what are some of the responses that the student community that you've been talking with has been having to Charlottesville in the wake of that terrible weekend? I think there's a, some amount of shock that um, there was a young man. I went to the vigil downtown on uh, Sunday evening and so there was a young man there with his family who was just who seemed to me to be in shock that there are literal Nazis on the street. He just kept saying that. And I could just feel the trauma and the shock of this young man to see that. Um, and he happened to be from a Jewish family who had lost people in the Holocaust. So this is this is where the trauma hits. And even though it was across the country, um, this is very real and present in people's lives, whether you're African-American or Latino or a woman. There's just so and and a caring white man, you know, that this is just traumatic um, to see so much hate expressed verbally and through the um, the flags and the other sort of visuals of, of that display, the, the torches, even if they are tiki torches, there were torches carried through the night to traumatize people at uh, the University of Virginia, and um, and we feel it. And, and so that's it's a place, I think, of some shock. Um, also, some some are coming more with an experience of this is the way it's always been. Uh, but to see it on display in that way mm -hmm. and seemingly acceptable to some of the highest leaders in our nation is frightening and um, very concerning. And so we have people who are afraid, who are uh, in mourning, who are sort of re-traumatized and, and just trying to grapple with um, where we have landed. I think something you said there was uh, striking to me, which is this idea that, you know, for folks who may not have the relative privilege of walking around in white skin every day and not having a lot of the difficulties that others might have, there is this sort of surprise. Oh my gosh, when did this happen? How did we get here? But a lot of other people are saying, no, mm -hmm. it's just Tuesday. Right. <laughs> right. And and I think we've, um, we've been seeing a lot of that disparity since the election of some of being shocked that this, this man who was so openly sexist and racist and, and very uh, problematic to say the least in his, um, dealings with a variety of communities, disabled communities, and so forth, that this person became president. Some people were quite shocked at, and others were, well, this is this really so far from uh, other experiences we've had and seen. So it, it is there is a disparity of, of experience around these issues, and I think the only sort of positive side effect of Charlottesville is that it's brought us closer in being able to talk about it and 
hear from each other what those experiences are like and recognize that even if you yourself are not feeling the direct impact of that, that someone is and and we can um, be open to discussion and it's it's okay to express those feelings and to be there for each other. And, you know, I, I think at this point, there's really no longer a, a middle ground. Uh, it seems that the middle ground disappeared uh, very quickly. I mean, again, for many, there never was really a middle ground. <laughs> but for those who thought it was there, I think it must have disappeared from under their feet. Something we talked about uh, on the phone when I called to set up the interview was just briefly referencing that uh, when events like this, because unfortunately we're in a situation where it really is, it seems like every few weeks there is another traumatizing event that's mm -hmm. occurring. Uh, we need to start talking about these things in a way that isn't right. arguing on Facebook or, right. you know, or worse, arguing in, in, in person right. with weapons. But there is so much looking at things like social media right now is exhausting. It is a way to engage in some conversations, to find things out, to get more information, but also it is a place to shut down because I know that I like scrolling through my feed and looking at some comments. I just, there are things I want to respond to, but I can't even engage sometimes because it's just, it, it seems futile. As as a resident professional in how to deal with diversity, equity, and inclusion, what what can someone do when when faced with that? When looking at at social media and saying, "I I, I just can't." <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's a, to sort of listen to your own uh, intuition there, right? If 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 you're hearing, "I just can't," turn it off and go talk to a real life human being and get some feedback and. And, and gain some perspective around it, I suppose, because you can sort of get into a, a rabbit hole there of just continuing to cycle down. And I try to stay away from um, some of it, like uh, the news articles. I will not read the comments. It's too uh, difficult to see that sort of language uh, being used in our community. Not that it's, you know, I know it's there, uh, but I don't need to continually traumatize mm -hmm. myself with it. And instead, I try to engage with people who I feel can be supportive and understanding um, or to be that person for someone else. If I happen to be in a pretty good place right now to just, you know, ask the person that you work with or you go to school with or um, that you see in the grocery store, how are you doing? You know, are you all right? Um, and I think particularly right now, our more vulnerable communities, the more we can just reach out and be human and connect on a human level, um, the better we're all going to be. And it was it was very nice at the vigil on Sunday that people were there doing that, just saying, you know, there were different perspectives. Again, people were like, this is just, like you were saying, this is just Tuesday, and this is this is what we deal with regularly, and other people who were just shocked. And, and hearing each other's um, experiences and uh, recognizing and honoring each other's experiences, I think, is very important. And then also, I think they're has come a time where we need to build more um, intentional communities and intentional structures to support each other through what is coming. Um, this is something that I have felt since I started this position. It's been a little over two months now I've been here. <laughs> but um, what is coming, and it's no longer, as we see, a matter of uh, if but when this is going to be visited on us. We need to be ready. We need to have policies in place. We need to have structures in place to 
respond as effectively as we can um, to protect our community and to continue to um, be very clear and very real in that this is a place that's open to everyone and that this is a place of inclusion and we will not accept exclusion uh, in a community college. There have been some wonderful things written over the last week about these that we need to come clearer about what it means to be an inclusive environment and that means that we cannot have um, people who come with the purpose of excluding, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's one of the other sort of positive side effects of this horrific reality that we're living in now, sort of forcing us to think through, can you be inclusive if you accept racism? Because racism is an ideology of exclusion. And so if we accept exclusion, we can't be inclusive, right? <laughs> right. No, and that's actually really interesting. Is some of the stuff that you're seeing and hearing and in some of the, the in in my opinion, indefensible defenses of some of the things that have been ha have happened and have been said is this idea of your by by telling me I can't say something horrible and racist, you're denying my free speech. Right. How as a public entity, mm -hmm. uh, how is Clark College going to kind of navigate that? Well, we're navigating, and it's going to be difficult uh, because we have very clear policy about bias-based incidents on this campus and our response to those. We also have a policy that is reflective of state and federal law regarding free speech, and those do come into conflict around this issue. And so we're going to have to navigate that. And I'm, I'm trying to have as many conversations as possible around the campus about how we navigate that. Um, there are many levels that could come into play here. I would love to see the state of Washington come into play, as I believe the state of Illinois is now doing, to label these groups as terrorist organizations. Then we could exclude them, I think, mm -hmm. more, far more easily than we could now. I think now we would have a legal battle on our hands were we to, were we to try to openly exclude um, these groups. And of course, we want to tread lightly around that. But we also want to recognize that if we have to choose a side, what side are we going to choose? Mm -hmm. And I think even the ACLU at this point is recognizing that maybe they went too far. Um, I heard this morning that they're going to that they're revisiting their policy, that they'll no longer uh, represent groups that are going to be armed and racist. <laughs> it's like, that is the first step. Um, I would prefer to not represent groups that are racist or, or fascist or sexist or, you know, again, right. because free speech at its core is about having a conversation as a democracy to come to the best outcomes and including racist, misogynistic, ableist speech in that LGBTQ negative speech in that, homophobic speech in that, it just is not a way forward. Mm -hmm. um, I come from a more critical perspective of, well, these are not, we don't have an equal playing field here. So we can't say, well, we're going to have both sides come in and have an argument and decide who's right. It's not an equal playing field. It's been, this nation has been dominated by racism so long and white supremacy is so embedded in our history and our institutions that we have to start to grapple with that openly and clearly. And, and in my view, that's the only way to move forward is if we just, you know, good, get to the root of that and pull it out. Because if we keep just sort of skimming along, skimming along, uh, we're going to be here in 200 more years again. And I just don't want to be there. I'd like to see us make some real 
progress here mm-hmm. and prevent the kind of thing we saw in Charlottesville this weekend. So from uh, an institutional and an academic perspective, because I know that is your background, what are some ways that we can start to advance that dialogue? Well, I think it happens um, in so many places, right? Um, I'm Latina, and I come from South Texas, uh, a small town where the vast majority of us were Chicana. You know, that's how we identify. It's an ethnic identity. It's a political identity. That's who we are. And so having conversations about race start very early, recognizing uh, that there are differences um, and that my father could tell stories about the signs uh, that made it clear to him where he was not welcome. And that this is not um, something that that you discover perhaps in college, which is the the experience of people who don't come from communities of color, that it's much later that they start to recognize these differences. So in some places, it's going to happen around dinner tables. In some places, it's going to happen in churches. In some places, it's going to happen in classrooms. Um, And then again, I think we have to build some intentional spaces for people to come together and have these conversations who, who may be feeling the need to do something, but just not sure what, or just not sure how. And this is, since I've come to this region, something that has sort of struck me, again, growing up in a place that's majority minority, and then living in Chicago for many years, that's extremely diverse. It struck me right away that people in this region are not comfortable talking about race because it's not a norm. And in some people's eyes, it's almost... um, impolite to do so and it's and so it's an odd uh place to tread with these conversations and i find people being sort of um responding in a way that i don't expect or uh having very different sorts of ideas around these conversations and i'm i'm still figuring some of that out um but i think we just need to have the conversations and give each other enough sort of latitude and grace to say we're going to have this conversation and you may say something that I find offensive but I'm just going to let you know why and we're going to move on from there we're not going to get mired in that and let that stop us from having the conversation because then that defeats the purpose and it shuts people down right mm-hmm. and we want people to be open and and expressive and and having conversations and willing to work through those And I I think the more we can do that, the better without putting too much of a burden on the very small communities of color that we have, that they have to lead this or somehow be the ones constantly having to correct others to say, well, that's not really the way to do that. Um, So it's a fine balance of being open for conversation, uh, willing to make mistakes and learn. That's how we all learn. uh, and, And not putting the burden on the most vulnerable communities at the same time and Mm -hmm. allowing some space for healing and breathing there as well. I think that's, uh, that's an incredible, that's an incredibly good point. And I remember some conversations I had with colleagues who were very involved and active around when the black lives matter Mm -hmm. movement started and a sense of exhaustion from a lot of people in communities of color of do I really have to be having this conversation again with you again? And as a, as a white girl, me feeling so helpless in this moment of how can I, how can I help in a way that actually helps and recognizing that sometimes it's just, Take, take a breather. <laughs> yeah, sometimes people need a break. Um, there's some wonderful uh, 
trainings going on. I was at one yesterday to try and get a sense of how things are happening on this side of the river because I did the diversity report for the Portland Police Bureau for a while and with their DOJ staff. And so I got a sense of how it went on that side of the river and I was quite heartened to see that it's going about the same over here. I was like, oh, this is very good. And so I think if people can attend those sorts of trainings where there are professionals there, where it's their job to get you through this work, that that's a very positive thing to do. Reading, there's some wonderful books out right now um, on, you know, so many of these topics, and there are some really good old books, too. There's just all kinds of, you know, self-education that could happen that sometimes makes it easier, too, for someone who may not be, you know, directly affected uh, by this stuff to just do a lot of reading and then come to a conversation sort of ready um, with some some clear and concise questions that may not feel as personal and, and as draining uh, to the person you're relying on as sort of the insider or something. Yeah, there, I think there are many ways to go about it, and um, I would encourage people to try it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, something that I've noticed here in Clark County, and it is, I, I doubt that we are unique, but I'll just say that a lot of these conversations I've been having here, as I've lived here for the last 10 years or so, Especially for uh, for people who are sitting in the in the privileged position, being able to separate the idea of institutional oppression and racism actions from the personal, yes. this idea of but I'm not a racist. Yes, uh, I think trying to create these safe spaces that that you talked about where we can have these conversations, mm-hmm. where letting you know, letting me know what was offensive doesn't mean that the conversation has to end. Exactly. In fact, it's actually where we're starting. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that, uh, the, the difference because I'm a sociologist by training. So I'm an, I go through the institutional level to me, that is the important level, mm-hmm. um, because that is where our ideas come from. Right. I think, um, because of a lot of the sort of popular TV and so forth, that there's this this sense in this country that if we can change our ideas, we can change the world. And I understand that sentiment to some point, but it really doesn't work that way. We have to change the world to change our ideas, mm. right? And so this is the way I approach the work: is if we if we change our policies and our institutional norms then the rest will follow that when we no longer exclude people for bizarre reasons that have to do with race, but we don't even recognize that anymore because it's been so long since it was explicitly said that way, (laughs) we can actually then change the way things start to happen and see um, new things coming forward that we would not have seen otherwise. And and if we look back at the history of this country, right, race didn't exist before slavery. It was the institution of slavery that brought us the idea of race in this country. And it was built around that horrific idea that there are some people who are not the same or not even people, right? And that that was built very explicitly in the law and in our, in our institutions. And it continues with us today, um, not as explicitly, but it's still there. It's, there's still the language that um, there's a terrific book uh, that I used to use in a lot of my classes uh, on justice and inequality called The Rich Get Richer, The Poor Get Prison. And, and he starts out asking people to just close their eyes and imagine a criminal, right? And then he goes through a description of probably what the person imagined. And again, it's not because they're racist. It's because that's what we see and that's what we're told consistently, that young black man equal criminal, mm-hmm. right? And now we've got um, and have had for a few years now... 
this isn't that new. And in fact, it goes way back. But the, the intensifying rhetoric around immigrant equal criminal, Muslim equal terrorist, right? All of this very racist, nasty um, language has become normalized to such an extent that people, you know, if you ask, probably if you ask people today to close their eyes and imagine a terrorist, they're going to have another very explicit image in their head that reflects the racist ideas that have come from our institutions um, rather than their own ideas. They didn't get that out of nowhere. <laughs> that, that came, that came that, those kinds of things come to us. And then we uh, can either reject them or accept them, or they become normalized and we don't even realize we're accepting or rejecting. It's just, we just think that's normal. Are there initiatives or programs that Clark specifically is undertaking as we begin this new academic year to, uh, to, to try to advance this? Um, Clark has been working a social equity plan for a couple of years now, right? And we're continuing that work. Um, because I'm new, of course, I'll be bringing my own ideas and perspectives to that and hopefully uh, move that along. Um, one of the things that I would like to do very quickly is put together some equity, what we call an equity lens around a lot of the work because we have a very clear intention of increasing the diversity of our faculty and staff here and have had made some headways, but not as much as we need. And so there are these wonderful tools called an equity lens that we can put around things like our HR processes um, and our retention processes to see if we're actually asking the right questions, if we're um, going about our searches in the right way, if we're going about um, after hiring, you know, onboarding people in the right way to make sure that we're meeting these goals. And we can do the same uh, around our student work because we also have a very clear plan for increasing um, our student completion rates, particularly for students in uh, non-dominant populations, historically non-dominant populations who um, are, have not been completing at the same rates as students from the dominant population. So we want to instill the right structures and have the right questions. We've got the data. Now, what are the right questions to say? Why are these students falling out? Where are they falling out? And then put a lens on that that says, how do we change that, right? What is going on here that is um, causing these students to not persist and these students to persist, and how do we equalize that and make sure that everyone um, has what they need to succeed here? Because we're all better off when um, when, it's, when the population is educated, right? Mm -hmm. um, except maybe the white supremacists. They might be better off if people didn't have an education, but... The, well, I'm guess I, I, I would argue that they could probably use some education. <laughs> well, they, they could use some education. But I think it's harder to recruit people once they kind of know their history, gotcha. right? So, uh, yeah, that is going to make it tougher recruiting grounds for them. Uh, the more educated people we have, which is another argument for more education, right? And um, so. Yeah, we have some, uh, we have plans. Our social equity plan is very clear and very serious, and the leadership here is very committed. Our faculty and staff are very committed. Our students are very excited. We've got the the major components in place, and now we've just got to put some um, structures and norms in place to see it through. Well, Loretta Capehart, Associate Vice President of Diversity, <laughs> Equity, and Inclusion for Clark College, thank you so much for taking a few minutes. Thank you. And that's our show. Thanks again for being here. I'm Temple Lentz, and this has been Hello Vancouver. 
If you'd like to find out more about Hello Vancouver or check out videos of our live stage show, you can do that at hellovancouver.us. We're produced by High Five Media and look forward to seeing you next time. Thanks.